from KQED. New laws and a new player in the effort to raise California's tobacco tax next year. This is our California Politics Podcast for October 8th. Along with Marisa Lagos of KQED News and Anthony York of the Grizzly Bear Project, I'm John Myers of KQED. Okay, we are on the home stretch of bill season in Sacramento, folks, so we're not going to delay posting this podcast. We'll get swallowed by news from the governor later or, you know. Kevin McCarthy in D.C. I mean, things happen fast in this world, so we are not delaying. This podcast is out the door, ready to we go. We should just be doing it live. <laughs> we should be doing it live. Hey, a live podcast. We could do that in the future. Right in. Um, let's dive into some of the notable actions here. We're going to talk about bills that have come forward as of Thursday, the governor signing or vetoing. And then a little bit, as I said, about uh, a new player on the tobacco tax scene for 2016 and our weekly side dish, little morsels of political news. Let's talk bills first. I I think probably, um, I'm going to say this, for sheer drama and I think probably even gravitas, we would probably put Jerry Brown's signature this week on um, AB2X15, as it's called, at the top of the list. That's signing the medically assisted suicide law in California. It'll take effect in 2016. Uh, And as you may know, California now joins only four other states in the country in allowing this end-of-life option uh, for the terminally ill. I want to talk about it, but I think too interesting, the signing message from the governor is worth talking about here. Yeah. I I mean, I was really surprised both by the fact that he signed this. I think, you know, there's a lot of questions given. Could have gone either way. Yeah, it could have gone either way, but I, but he also could have not done anything and let it go into law, right? Right? Am I wrong? Sure. Um, That's kind of a weenie move. It is, but, you know, he didn't do it. But, yeah, I mean, this was, to me, the most personal really statement I've seen Brown make on any policy issue like this. I mean, you know, he talked about the meetings he had and the reflections he made and how in the end I really just had to think about what I would want on my own deathbed. Yeah. You know, I mean, signing messages are reserved for the bills we know are controversial and someone's going to ask why I signed it. So I'm going to explain why I signed it. And so, yeah, to your point, Marisa, So the quote is, the crux of the matter is whether the state of California should continue to make it a crime for a dying person to end his life, no matter how great his pain or suffering. And the governor said, I don't know what I would do. Uh, I'm certain, however, that it would be a comfort to consider the options afforded by this bill, and I wouldn't deny that right to others. And Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, that's uh, the personal moment out of all of this for the governor, who clearly talked to a lot of people from what we hear. Right. Well, and what he said in this signing letter, you know, that I... I heard the heartfelt pleas from folks like Brittany Menard, who was the woman who moved to Oregon and really sort of launched this whole sort of public interest in this issue again in, in California. Um, and then she, he talked about sitting down with a Catholic bishop, with his own doctors, his former classmates, with friends. I mean, it, it, especially for Jerry Brown, but really for any politician, I think, too. And, and we saw this on the floor, too, you know. We can be cynical about this legislature, but I think we were all very heartened to see how personal um, and heartfelt the debate was around this bill. And it just shows, you know, what a unique situation it is, how it is really something that is not as much swayed by sort of outside groups or lobbyists, but by people's own personal experiences and beliefs. Um, And, you know, I think we should mention it not only makes it not a crime. I mean, it clears the way for doctors to prescribe these drugs. Right. So that was a big thing. What do you what do you take out of it? I mean, again, thoughtful, right, Anthony? Yeah, thoughtful. I mean, I think you know uh, we see we've seen this side of Jerry Brown before. I think you know sort of a, a different take, and I and I want to be you know I don't mean this as, as a criticism, but I just think it's interesting. 
you know, so often the the sort of knee jerk media narrative talks about Brown's Catholicism and his, you know, and how it impacts Jesuit him. training. Yeah, and and I mean, I think that this sort of brings into pretty clear focus the limits of the impact of that Catholicism on his political action. You know, mm-hmm. Brown got the question when he was when he was in Rome whether or not he's a Catholic. And he, he kind of ducked it, right? And, and again, I don't mean this as a criticism, but it's just sort of a kind of a clarification of the record. And I think we all sort of fall yeah. into the trap of describing him a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly he's a man who's lived a long, reflective, thoughtful life and has had certain experiences in his past. And I don't pretend to have an understanding of who he is spiritually. But, well, I, th- but I think there are... I think clearly, I mean, as we've seen on, uh, you know, on a number of issues, there are sort of limits to how Catholicism influences his political action. And maybe perhaps one of the reasons he left that training, among right. others, no, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, I, I think to your point, that that's very true. I think we've seen this around social issues or oh, not social, social, like welfare issues, right? So social services where people kind of try to appeal to that side of him where, you know, we should be taking care of the least among us and right. you know he's pushed back on a lot of that in the name of fiscal responsibility yep. um clearly abortion's not an issue but right but then contrast that with his first term and the whole debate about the death penalty and rosebird and the whole thing and that 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 was couched in in brown's catholic his catholic background and mm-hmm. and i i don't know it's, it's a bit of a tangent for the for this well, one but but it, it was it's one of the things that that jumped out to me upon reading that, that it is, signing message. And, you know, I think the governor probably dismisses a little bit about what I'm about to say of a bit of punditry here about his ability to understand the California electorate. But I still give him credit for understanding the California electorate. And to that Absolutely. point on yeah. this issue, the very day that he made the decision, the field poll came out with the question about uh, right. about medically assisted suicide. Sixty five percent of voters in California said, yes, they support it. Uh, bipartisan support, Democrats, independents, 55 percent of Republicans, uh, two in three men, two out of three women almost back it. And then again, to the to the religious aspect of this, 58 percent of Protestants, 55 percent of Catholics supported favoring the bill. The least likely to support the law group were born again Christians and political conservatives. And you know, so Those aren't his base. <laughs> they aren't his base. But the, but I think the governor really does seem to kind of typify this California perspective on things where he picks and chooses issues, taxes, crime, size of government, role of government. And he has a pretty good track record so far. Yes, people will write in and say there are outstanding issues that he's gotten wrong or that he's on the wrong side of. But this is one where he seemed to be hitting that yeah. the place. Well, and I think more than the religious issue, what this really showed in, in this letter in particular, the signing message really sort of personified was just how Jerry Brown thinks and what a deep thinker he is, which I think no matter where you land on politics is, is a nice thing to believe that the leader of our state actually considers issues deeply before he makes a decision. Um, Kevin Fagan at the Chronicle had a really nice story about this and how um, when he won as mayor of Oakland, Kevin, he disappeared from his own election party and he right. was upstairs sort of just taking it all in. And I, and I think that that in is... In meditation, I believe, essentially, with, with, with his yeah. fingers. And, and, the, you know, and, yeah. and, and then he is. He is. He's a deep thinker. And I think that this showed that. And um, it is, you know, 
We should mention, obviously, that there is going to be an attempt to put a referendum on the ballot. I think it's fairly unlikely that they'll have the money to get enough signatures in the very short time frame. But I don't you know, we could see this on the ballot in the future. And the polls show, as John just mentioned, that, you know, Californians are are pretty strongly in, in favor of it. And there were people who thought this should be an issue on the ballot, that Californians should collectively weigh in on this. And and anyway, I, I don't know about that. But to the point about the referendum, yes. So the referendum was filed to try to overturn this. Um, very high hurdles. In some ways, my quick observation is that there are parallels with the folks who wanted to overturn the vaccination law, SB 277. Mm -hmm. They are very passionate people on one side of an argument who the polling shows are in the minority of those sampled in California. Um, And they don't have financial backing to get the very high threshold of all those signatures in 90 days time. So it, it would be it would be unlikely, it would seem in yeah. some ways. I, one interesting thing on the ballot question, our um, health reporter, April Domboski, mentioned this week that she, this was actually launched um, in 2014 as a five-year campaign by supporters of this change in law. And so they really saw this as a longer game. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there was a, a, co- a combination of things, including the woman who has now since passed, Brittany Menard and others, that really pushed this to the forefront. But I think, you know, in some ways, nobody was as surprised as the advocates that this sort of came together as quickly as it did. And, of course, it's been talked about in Sacramento now for more than a decade. Right. I remember certainly. Quickly and- certainly yeah, in the early <laughs> 2000s, we had the exact same bills. Let's talk about a couple of other bills that, that, that came through this week. Um, equal pay. We've talked a lot about the bill. The governor had made it clear he was going to sign it, so this was a photo op. Governor um, having an event in the Bay Area this week uh, alongside the Rosie the Riveter signs uh, and the, the, the um, historical site for all of that in Richmond. Um just quickly on the politics of this, I wonder one side could say this is a classic compromise in governing. Um, you know, maybe the governor at his best, lawmakers at their best, you know, trying to find the sweet spot between business and labor to find a bill that they could deal with about gender inequality uh, when it comes to paychecks. Or was this just easier because it was a narrow bill? I mean, I don't know if there's anything to read out of this about the greater politics and the back and forth fights because the business community business community didn't like the bill at the beginning. It was amended in some ways to make it more palatable to them. But I just wonder, does this say anything about, like, this is when governing works, or is this just an anomaly in some way? Or No one wants to take that here in the podcast <laughs> studio. On. Everyone is just pointing the finger at each other, Marisa uh, and Anthony. Uh, honestly, I don't know enough about the details of the bill and, like, I, you know, in terms of the, what happened to this in the legislative process to know what, you know, how to answer that? But one question could make an argument this. that this is this is an example of how you find compromise. I mean, you know, this is a way of governing through complicated waters. Yeah, I mean, I think on the issue itself, it, in some ways, like the time has come. I, I think that a lot of you know the rhetoric nationally, the coverage we've seen around this, the fact that that Obama has made this a big push. I mean, it's not as controversial as it was ten or fifteen years ago. So, yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. Um, and, and, you know, we have female leaders in the Republican, you know, Kristen Olson stood up on the floor, the assembly Republican leader and was in favor of this. Um, the, I mean, I think there are individual businesses who still oppose this issue. But, it, you know, and, and, and this isn't this isn't government coming in and saying we want you guys to open your books. This is essentially giving women more power to ask questions and advocate for themselves. I think there's a real open question about whether it's going to work. It was one of a of a trio of 
California makes national news stories and could make national news stories out of bill signing. Certainly the uh, the end-of-life options was one, equal pay is one, and the third bill that we're going to talk about here quickly, and then we'll hit a couple of others, SB 350, which we've talked about a lot. There was an elaborate signing ceremony on Wednesday at the Griffith Observatory overlooking downtown L.A., which when you looked at it, downtown L.A. was decidedly smoggy, hazy-looking. Hazy, it wasn't it's quite... Just haze. It just wasn't quite perfect for that. Anyway, the governor uh, signing the much-talked-about bill. It supercharges the state's push toward renewable energy sources and energy-efficient buildings. It used to include, as we've talked about so much on the podcast, that big reduction in petroleum usage that was taken out. But it was all upside in this event. Uh, and everybody, including the governor, declaring victory. This is big. It's big because it's global in scope, but it's also big because it's local in application. Big all the way around. Um, everybody claiming credit, everybody saying it's a big deal. I mean, you know, we've talked about political lessons. I wonder what the policy next step here is. Does somebody come back over the petroleum issue? Is this more about implementation? We can talk about the Air Board, which I want to talk about here in a minute, and the implementation of all of this. But um, a fight that was messy and somewhat intractable ends with everybody shaking hands. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's still. You look at some of the stories yesterday, and some of it still did note a political defeat for the governor, right, and the limits to it. But look, I mean, the issue. You know, if you take a step back from the politics of it, the issue is still a big one. I mean, look, if you, if you look at the transportation goals in AB thirty two, the original greenhouse gas reduction bill, uh, we're nowhere near where we need to be by twenty twenty on on cutting uh, emissions from the transportation sector. Nowhere close. And uh, and so, you know, I mean, this is about a longer term goal. Right. I mean, this this, you know, the 50 percent reduction was a much longer term goal in the short term. It, we're already seeing the problems with um, with meeting the standards from one of the from one of the sectors of the economy that was meant to have, uh, you know, that has the most impact on on our environment. And so, um, you know, there's been a lot of debate about the low carbon fuel standard and some other some other issues. That, but I think a lot of this fight is going to be at the ARB. Mm-hmm. And how the Air Resources Board gets us to to that goal, both in the short term, the medium term, and the long term. So perfect transition. So the governor could not resist uh, reminding everybody of the discussion about the Air Resources Board, since we had so much of that, the power of the Air Board during the um, state capital fight over SB 350. Uh, here's what the governor said. By the way, you do need a powerful Air Resources Board, because they're the folks that tell us no when we want to emit. So it's helpful. I just have to say, I, I love the legislature, but I don't want to entrust you with too much power. <laughs> At least on a daily basis. You set the big, the big story and then just let this executive branch carry out your desires. And <laughs> you can check it every now and then or, or check it regularly. I will. But I, I understand it's a little bit of a controversy. A little bit of a controversy, yeah. by the way. The voice that was saying, quit while you're ahead, was Kevin DeLeon, the leader of the state Senate Who ironically didn't want to ha- strip power from ARB. So, I mean, it, it, you know, he that was more of about the jab at the legislature than the actual policy question here. But, I mean, I think this is going to continue to be fought out, and, and this really isn't the last word on it. If we, as we've discussed in the past, I think there's valid doubts about whether the governor thought that legislating this was necessary at all. Um and, you know, it, let's be clear, while they did sort of head off the opposition from the oil industry, it's not as if this was, like, universally embraced this week. I mean, the Republicans sent out a bunch of, 
you know, pretty snarky emails. The Western States Petroleum Association, who are the sort of biggest players in fighting the oil stuff, sent out a very sort of vague statement that was not critical per se, but was not congratulatory either. So, I mean, this is going to continue to be controversial. And, you know, it's it's something that we may see again on a ballot. <laughs> so talking of some of the bills that the governor vetoed quickly, um, uh, vetoed a patch of crime bills that got a little bit of attention, some closely that included some of the, the closely watched um, anti-drone bills, the mm-hmm. bills that would have blocked drones from flying over schools or prisons. The one that would have said uh, emergency personnel can shoot them out of the sky, knock them down if they came into a fire zone. In all of these crime bills, the governor gave this pat veto message of, let's think a little bit. Let's pause for a moment. Let's think more broadly or something, words to that effect, even though there are other bills that he signed. And I mean, it, again, it's the it's the challenge, I guess, of any governor, especially this governor, too, of the things that he picks and doesn't pick, the zigs and the zags, the let's legislate, let's be careful and stop and think for a moment kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think it fits with his sort of overall push to reduce incarceration and and to to soften some of the state's harsher crime laws. It also, you know, speaks to why I was talking to a lobbyist about this this week, that there are certain bills that the governor, you know, doesn't really know where he's going to stand on them until he sees sort of holistically what the legislature has sent him. And this was a fair chunk of bills, right? It was, you know over half a dozen. So I think that 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 was part of it was just that, you know, there's a lot of them and he, you know, wanted to push back on that issue. But it is interesting. Yeah, but kind and of they're, classic they're, like Jerry drone Brown. bills for fires. Well, I mean, that went... well, well, what he says, though, is that basically this is already illegal in many ways. Right. And can... and, and so there are strands of the familiar, right, that we've yeah. seen over the last five, six years with this governor in the tenor and the tone of these messages, whether the veto messages or the signing messages. This idea that we don't need to over-prescribe, we don't need to over-legislate, we don't need to to re to make re-illegal mm-hmm. stuff that's already yeah. illegal. I mean, that's been his. That's been uh, that's been sort of a central theme. And for yet, the- he signs more bills than most governors. Yeah. I mean, like he he gives wide berth to the legislature in writing and, laws. And he did yeah. sign one drone bill that sort of. Didn't expand the penal code, but included drones and some paparazzi restrictions, which yeah, is sort yeah, of yeah. interesting to me. Cause, well, that's different. Know, that's pop. That's, it, that's Hollywood, That's about rich man. people. That's, yeah. um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't want to jump ahead here, but I think, you know, it's also important to note that he did sign some sort of controversial criminal justice yeah. uh, laws, including um, the bill by Shirley Weber, which is going to expand sort of how the state tracks racial profiling. This was something... That was largely opposed by law enforcement, although some of the opposition did drop off at the end after some amendments. Um, but this is a big deal. And this is really comes out of a lot of the national discussion over race and the Black Lives Matter movement. And this idea that you can't, you know, as much as opponents of this type of legislation say there's, you know, there's no racism in, in law enforcement. Or I've heard that from a couple of people, which is sort of interesting. But, you know, that you what, what supporters are saying is that you need the data to make any legitimate changes to the way that the sort of system works. Um, and so that's going to be an interesting one to watch. It's clearly going to take a few years for us to, to see that data. But that was a that was a huge win for advocates of that. Governor also signed uh, just quickly the uh, the bill banning the importation of ivory, which was much talked about um, and had a very successful route through the state capitol. And then on a much lighter note, um, 
credit to the governor and his staff for like trying to find the uh, news cycle time to get things out. So over the weekend, the governor uh, hopped on one of those little portable bikes that we see around Sacramento and other communities that you can pedal and drink beer. And uh, the bill allowing them to do it, where produce the uh, classic comment from the web video that his office put up. Pedal harder, Governor! Pedal faster! Pedal harder, Governor, as the Governor and First Lady were seen pedaling a beer bike, a beer, it's like a trolley car through the streets of Sacramento. So So a lighter note there. The the bill number on that was 530, and I saw it during um, my birthday dinner, and I thought it was 350, and I was like, are you kidding me? You're signing 350 (laughs) Sunday night? No. Had you been on a beer bike when you (laughs) said that? Unfortunately, no. Transposing. I can't drink on my birthday. That's a whole other issue. That's another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See, I'm a a reporter. I just wanted to give out news. Okay. So anyway. Oh, we could give out news. Are we giving out news on this podcast? We'll give out news next week. Let's pause here on the California (laughs) Politics Podcast. Sorry, folks. For our weekly side dish, that morsel of political news, apparently not news for Anthony. That's worth a sampling. Um, uh, Marisa Lagos, you can find on Twitter at MLagos. What's your side dish this week? Well, speaking of J.B., our our governor, um, I was interested by a story in the Chronicle by John Wildermuth, a veteran political watcher. Shout out to John. Um, Jerry Brown was in front of a national real estate group in San Francisco on Tuesday, um, and he was asked about a couple issues, namely Prop 13 and this idea of a split role, which would allow increases on commercial uh, real estate. And he basically said that that's not my fight. Not my monkeys, not my circus. I'm not going to engage in that. But then he said something even more interesting to me, which was he was asked about, you know, in this context of 13, you know, why you pick and choose. And he said, you got to decide you have to decide what can't be done and what can and then do it. What can be done. And he used CEQA, the Environmental Review Act, as an example. This is something a couple of years ago we were talking about a lot because he had promised to really push some changes to it. And now he has completely apparently backtracked on that, which we've talked about. There's there's not been a lot of, you know, conversation around secret right. reform lately. But this was a pretty um, y- you can't. I mean, you can't. You can only read this quote in one way. He says, "Reform of CEQA is the Lord's work, but unfortunately, the Lord's work doesn't always get done." So, guys, I don't think we're going to be seeing any CEQA reform in the next couple of years. And yet, we'll continue to talk about CEQA reform at some point. So, uh, side dish, Anthony York, who can be found on Twitter at Anthony York Forty Nine. Uh, yeah, it, my continuing fascination with the evolution, transformation of the California economy. Um, for a story that I'm working on, soon to be on the Grizzly Bear Project and other exciting media outlets. Um, I like how you start to whisper the promo there. It gets, uh, you know, I, I'm, go ahead. I'm modest, he, he John, un- unlike some people on this podcast. The modesty about me. I don't know me. who that was a ding at. I wasn't uh, some other man on this podcast. <laughs> Onward with your dish, Mr. York. <laughs> is Mike still on? He's spicy today. Is it, uh, uh, some stats from the EDD that I came across about the fastest growing sectors in the California economy in, in terms of employment. Uh, the uh, seven sectors that are going to add the most jobs are all low wage work, uh, nine to eleven dollars an hour. And so, and this is, you know, as we're discussing raising the minimum wage in the state, there's a new initiative that was filed. This we didn't even talk. Are we talking about that next? That's next. Okay. Don't. I'm leading in here. Um, um, 
you know, there's a statewide discussion about raising the minimum wage, a lot of local discussion about raising the minimum wage. Actually, we're not talking about minimum wage, so please. Oh, well, there you go. I think we just did. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bam. There's uh, statistical evidence that shows that our econ- the jobs that we are recreating in our economy as we continue to uh, recover from the Great Recession, uh, we're disproportionately adding low-wage work uh, in our workforce. And um, from there, my side dish, where you can find me on Twitter at John Myers, is um, not quite as uh, deep. It's a, it's not a deep dish. It's a, it's a thin crust side dish. Sorry, it's all I could come up with. Uh, but it is an interesting one. I mean, and it does kind of get to the way the ballot measure process works, which does get us to a third topic in a moment. The California Supreme Court this week heard oral arguments about the ability of the legislature to put an advisory measure on the ballot. Not a not a measure that uh, creates law, but one that just takes the sense of Californians. This came up uh, uh, in this last election cycle with what would have been Proposition 49, a measure that Democrats in the legislature pushed to the ballot, an advisory measure about money and politics in the Citizens United case from the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, having people weigh in that they disapprove of the Citizens United ruling. Now, the cynical person would have said that Democrats in the legislature wanted it on the ballot to help bring Democrats to the polls. And while you're there voting on uh, that you hate Citizens United, vote for the Democratic candidates. Democrats would say, no, people need to weigh in on this big money and politics issue. I let others to decide that. But I think the state Supreme Court now gets to rule. And you heard a little bit in the um, arguments back and forth. The lawyers were, were quizzed by the justices. The fundamental question of what is the initiative process for, not the initiative in this case, what is the ballot measure direct democracy process for um, creating laws, weighing in to overturn laws, or a sense of the public, a bit of vox pop as it was. And so we'll see what the high court has to, to rule out Just of that. Just quickly, it's funny to me that this is an issue statewide because in San Francisco we're famous for these types of sort of poll questions like, what do you think should so-and-so, and it's just a way... You know, mm-hmm. essentially for politicians to grandstand and to say, look, this people agree with this. You should do this. <laughs> and that. Yeah. And, and that was one of the criticisms, too, of Prop 49. So stay tuned. We'll see what the high court rules on that one. So speaking of the ballot, let's move on to the final topic on the California Politics Podcast this week. The tobacco tax. We've talked about tobacco taxes a lot. But this week, a new combatant in the fight for a higher tobacco tax in 2016, Tom Steyer. Uh, I guess from climate change to cigarettes, the San Francisco billionaire uh, joined this coalition of healthcare groups for a statewide ballot initiative for a $2 a pack tax on cigarettes. This money would go to the treatment and research of cancer and other tobacco-related diseases, which sounds an awful lot top line like the one that voters narrowly rejected in 2012. I'm not saying the details are the same, folks, but in terms of the goals of uh, cancer research. This is backed by the uh, California Medical Association, but Steyer is a big guy with a big checkbook. And if big tobacco comes running, that's a lot of bigs in one sentence. He's not that big a guy. I think he's like 5'11". He's kind big of slight. in political stature oh, in New York. Okay. What do we make okay. of Tom Steyer getting involved with tobacco from climate change? It's, what do we take out of this? I mean, it's interesting. I was thinking about this morning, you know, hearing him to be out here on these issues. I mean— it's not like this is a secret, but we've all been sort of making bets on what his ultimate political goals are. And, you know, a lot of times when you see billionaires get involved in politics on, on the more initiative level, like they don't they just want to put the money out there and let somebody else speak for it. Steyer has been happy to make himself public. So um, 
I don't know. It makes me more even more curious about sort of what his ultimate political goals are. I think it's a bit of a pivot, but it's also an issue um, that, you know, needs the money behind it because tobacco has poured a lot of money into defeating multiple attempts, both in the legislature and at the ballot box in the last 15 or 16 years. And, you know, it having Steyer behind it certainly helps the case that they'll actually get on the ballot. It is, but again, like this is a this is a guy. If you if you listen to what he has said in public, there's nothing more important than the fight over climate change, and he has put himself all in 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 Canada in in, in races around the country. He's put in money about that issue. He talks about that. That is his signature issue. And then now and the children, which is how he's framing this one. Okay, it's about the and kids the, and the inequality stuff, and that this this. Uh, you know, that provides more money for Medi-Cal. Unlike the last tobacco tax initiative, this, which just funded some new research center, this initiative dedicates money to uh, provider rates for Medi-Cal. So it's it's a part of it's tied back to the expansion of the Affordable Care Act, which so, I which so I think then is to make point no, to make clear for the audience, this is this is going to supplant, you believe, the other efforts that are measures that have already filed to put money in for Medi-Cal because there are like. No, this is the one. This is the SEIU's push. Yeah, but what I'm yeah. saying, there have been so many tobacco tax uh, variations submitted. This is now the yeah, lead. Yeah, no, the this is dog. the real deal. This is this one has the money behind it, as I think the press conference this week showed. I, you know, one of the things that I saw, you know, from this week, which I thought was interesting, maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not, is, you know, the, the spillover, right? Tobacco was one of the issues that we saw in the legislative session. It was, uh, there were tobacco bills introduced in the special session, ended up not going anywhere. And they were sort of, they died the same place that the, the petroleum provision died mm-hmm. in the assembly. And I, part of me just wonders politically, I, maybe it's just coincidence, but is there, any, is there any connection there? Is there any message to the moderate Democrats? Because, I mean, Steyer's been active in legislative races, too, and talking about... Uh, you know, certain litmus tests for, for Democrats. And I just, maybe, maybe again, it's too indirect, but I wonder if there's any message here to moderate Democrats about, uh, about future spending of well, Tom Steyer. And let me throw another indirect out of this, which I briefly um, mused about after I saw it and I was writing on Twitter because I was off for a few days with my kids. And that is, is this a, a somewhat of an indirect victory for big oil? For the oil industry, because Steyer has made noise that he was considering some 2016 fight with oil. It doesn't uh, look like it's going to happen. Gas prices, things, right? And and it's not that it's it's not that he can't multitask. Ms. Lagos took me to task on Twitter, but money is a big deal. Money, messaging, how much money you're going to put up to fight. I no, mean, even and, a billionaire has his limits of how much money he's going to put and, on the campaign. And, and quite frankly, attention. I mean, a ballot measure is not. A small undertaking. But for those who have wanted an oil excise tax, an extraction tax, or they've wanted the fight about gas prices, which is what uh, Steyer did with uh, the consumer watchdog folks. You know, he made some, you know, rumblings that he might see a 2016 fight on that. Right. This seems to say, I'm going to deal with tobacco tax in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Sure, why not? Um, <laughs> just... it, depends about, it depends on just where those limits that you referenced, those hypothetical limits are. To his, so, to his energy and his resources. Just a quick side note, as we were all debating everything here, Brown did sign uh, that Atkins bill that oh, lets the legislature be. appoint a couple of people to the Air Resources Board. So he did throw them a bone. Yes, a little bit of one. <laughs> a, a, li- a, a, a small amount of one. Well, we'll see. I, think, I do think that um, 
Tom Steyer's entry into the the debate over tobacco taxes to what we've said is is fascinating because mm-hmm. it is not what you would have seen coming from him. I mean, he has not made that as part of his um, uh, public utterings so far. And and it'll be interesting to see how much of a role he plays versus uh, the CMA. The doctors have got a big uh, megaphone as well. And again, about children and kids and who knows? I mean, we are we just in closing here? Are we done now with initiative measures for 2016? I mean, is everything out there? We think at this point we saw we saw a new version of the pension one, uh, which, again, we're not we're not talking about political viability now, but things that have to get submitted for title and summary. I mean, are we done? No, I mean, I've just I, I just heard this week that there was, um, you know, finalizing of language on the uh, on the marijuana initiative that apparently is being locked down, so it's about to be refiled. Well, I mean, but those are already but, out there. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe, maybe we're done idea-wise, yeah. but, but I think that we don't have the final version of everything in yet. I mean, I think the tax stuff is going to be rejiggered a little bit. I think, um, you know, we're getting to a place where, where uh, the pot initiative is going to be refiled and we're going to see some coalescing there. Um, but, you know, but is there some surprise, you know, idea out there? I, I don't think so, but I don't know. All right. Well, stay tuned. We will see. We've only, we've got a few more weeks. With that, that's Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project, Marisa Lagos from KQBD, and I'm John Myers from KQBD. As always, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.